service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, I have been thinking a little bit about our our logo. Oh, yeah? I love the logo that we had for our greatest Gen Con tour. Uh-huh. And I... This is like an idea that hit me the other day that I've been wanting to run by you. What about if that's our our podcast artwork? The greatest generation part of that with the with the beams of light around it, the multicolored beams of light. Oh, that's pretty cool. I do like that quite a bit. Because because uh, I know that a couple of I, th- I think that the uh, the size of the artwork is supposed to is supposed to double. In size mm. soon mm-hmm. to like be compliant with the with podcast standards. Oh, we want to be compliant, Ben. Yeah, so we're gonna have to redo it one way or the other. And I did a bad job last time we re- we changed our logo up. Well, let's give you a chance at redemption. <laughs> Here's the thing. Yeah, I wanted to know the thing. Whenever we change shows, we have changed the artwork. Is this is this a thing that will stay then? As our artwork for Greatest Gen, henceforth. I kind of like that idea because it's kind of like classic Trek, but also like really great looking. And I think we're specific. God, I I hope I'm not wrong about this. But like in the TNG days, were we specific about what show we were watching in the show notes? Yeah, I think so. I think it I think it was just. I I think now we have DS Nine in the in the little parenthetical in the in the title. As long as we keep with the parentheticals, I think everything yeah. will be A-OK. One thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is that we have almost actively made our show hard to find. Right. <laughs> like, we don't really have a website. Like, we have just the default thing that our uh, podcast hosting service provides. We don't do a great job of, like, providing links to all the various podcatching uh, apps, you know, we don't that, answer emails. We, we don't ten, answer emails. We tend to ignore guest requests from other podcasts. Yeah. We're great. I I'm I'm trying to you be better be about You want to be in demand, Ben? I'm I'm trying to be better about like doing more doing more guest spots on other shows. I want it to be special. When <laughs> when people when people find us or book us for things, you got to try really hard to book Greatest Gen, the you, bad you, boys of Star Trek podcasting. I mean, I don't know. I I I just want to be out there and and like you can't find us on Apple Podcasts if you search for Star Trek and I've been assured by the kind folks over there that that's going to change pretty soon but we could we could be doing a lot more to like actually attempt to grow the audience of this show and like we we put it all on our viewers asking them to recommend the show asking them to rate <laughs> rate and review yeah it's about time we do something also yeah, that was that was kind of the thinking behind. It. It's like, what if our uh, what if our graphics were nice to look at and uh, and co- consistent across several mediums? <laughs> what if we professionalized in any way? Right. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of what I've been thinking about lately. Hmm. This being our main job, because it has to be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds like we made some decisions just now, and that's yeah. good. The other thing I wanted to run by you, what about oh, no. uh, taking the show out on tour in the fall? 
Uh, sure. Okay. You're into that? Can I persuade, can I, what's it going to take for me to put you in a fall tour today? Uh, the promise of not financial ruin. <laughs> can you promise me that, Ben? I think I can promise you that. I'm, I'm thinking we, we hit 10, 10 cities we've been, we've been, uh, reliably, you know, at, at sellout-ish levels at, in the past. Where uh, where we know we can we can cover our costs, and then five that uh you know we either didn't visit last year or have always wanted to visit. You know your proposal is flying straight in the face of my aforementioned need for scarcity. <laughs> I know, but but the people want us, Adam. Yeah, people uh and 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 you know once we're out on the road, we always love it, right? Ben, you love getting to uh, meet the friends of DeSoto? Because you're my friend, because you are my my podcast and business partner, mm-hmm. and because I would sue you. <laughs> you cannot do this show live without me. And so you can count on me. Hell yeah. On the other mic for a, uh, a, a late fall greatest gen tour. How's that? That sounds really fun. One thing that I am really proud of from our previous tours. I didn't I didn't mean to turn the beginning this Marin into just a business meeting. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked business in a while. But uh but we never do it, it all. It kind of feels like I'm being cross-examined, Ben. Uh <laughs> All right. Well, uh you know, react to this however you want to and I can I can edit it out if you don't want it in the show, but uh, I was really proud of the fact that we made uh, that we raised ten thousand dollars for the National Center for Science Education. Yeah, and I want to do something uh, something for a charitable cause this uh, coming tour, uh, assuming we do it. And I want to—I don't know—I I, I want to think about like uh, doing that with a little bit more intentionality than just like, "Hey, you can get something, and we're going to give some of the money to charity," you know. Like what could we what could we do to enhance that part of of what we're doing? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Do you have a, a specific idea in mind, or is this just a something to be? Offered? I guess it's something to think about. If people have ideas, uh, I would be curious to to hear them because I think that like people have been really enthusiastic about helping us to support that because I think. Like almost everybody in our audience would agree that science education is super important, but um, it's just been, it's felt tacked on to me in the past. And I like the idea of like doing it, uh, doing it better, you know, like always thinking about how everything in the show can be better. Wow. Um, I guess um, I'm a little sorry to hear you say that. I was, I was very proud of the, the, uh, the work that we had done. I'm not. I'm not dragging tour. the work we've done. I'm just saying maybe there's room for improvement. I I often take that as uh, <laughs> I often take that bad, <laughs> as I just demonstrated. You know, like God, you just you just got a glimpse into every relationship I've ever had or will ever have. <laughs> just a light criticism being being like t- horribly defended by me. Yeah. <laughs> uh believe me when i say i uh, i'm coming from a place of of pride myself i'm, I'm just wondering if there's anything we can do to Im- Im- increase our impact and our our positive effect in the world 
Well, I I like the idea, and I know we will because it is a priority for the both of us. Yeah. So, uh, like, uh, usually, usually we are uh, highly dismissive of uh, of feedback on ways we could be better. But I think I, I would uh, gladly open up the open up the floor to the friends of Desoto about what uh, what folks think think we uh, could and should be doing. Uh, w slash R slash T charitable efforts. With a, with a future tour. Here's what I'll say to the friends of DeSoto. Choose a leader and representative. I do not want to hear from all of you. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the cacophony can be tough to sift through. <laughs> yeah, go through Bill Tilly. <laughs> and Bill Tilly will give us the card that represents the charitable... Oh, man, I love this. Sorry, yeah. Bill. Sorry, sorry to give you work, Bill, but this is just how it's got to be. <laughs> yeah, that's how we'll know it's official. It'll be Bill Tilly official. Well, Adam, uh, do you want to get into the official Greatest Generation episode of Season 4, Episode 24? Certainly do, Ben. It's called Body Parts. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> No, of course you don't. And it's directed by Avery Brooks. We know this because Avery Brooks is really not in this episode. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he takes a great big backseat. The pylons have been repaired on the station, Adam. Was the first thing I noticed was uh, we start a nice wide shot showing all six pylons in uh, in perfect working order. You can tell which one was the broken pylon because there's like some scarification <laughs> around that there's one of, of those uh, one of those Super Mario Brothers band-aids on it. Yeah. Keiko is off station and where we are as a viewer is on station experiencing the angst of a Miles Edward O'Brien during. <sighs> I never should have let her go. She's in the G-Quad doing, doing some adventurous stuff. I'm certain Dr. Bashir and Major Kira are taking good care of your wife. And he's not nuts about the adventurousness of his wife given the fact that she is pregnant he is a bit of a helicopter husband in a way that he is not a helicopter parent about molly he doesn't want anything bad to happen to keiko during her pregnancy and i kind of wondered if that had to do with disaster yeah you know that's a great point they don't explicitly connect it back but it was that episode where he is isolated on the bridge trying to solve problems with Troy and Ensign Rowe. Yeah. While Worf is down in 10 forward delivering his baby. Right. I've seen this a few times with friends of ours with unborn children. Like, there is great care taken of the container. <laughs> like, almost more care of the container than the child after it's born, you know? Right. Like, wow, Mark, you suddenly seem to really dote on your wife. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what's up what's up with you caring about her opinion about things? <laughs> it's like you've found a whole new way to express your disrespect for her. <laughs> but uh that is a very brief moment and then we are down in Neither of I have a friend named Mark, by the way. This is right. a this is a fictional Mark. Yeah, I don't I don't know anybody named Mark. And <laughs> I, I wouldn't associate with anyone named Mark if I had an opportunity to. Especially Mark with a C. Those are the worst. Oh yeah. Except for my uh, my cartooning teacher when I was a kid. Hmm. Who's, oh, did who you? Who was a mark with a C? 
Did he was you a nice take, guy. Did you take the art test brochure? Was it was Mark the guy in those commercials? If you like to play around with a pencil, chances are you have the basic interest needed to help you become a serious art student. No, I went to a, a an art summer camp and there was a cartoon class that you could take. The guy's name was Mark, and he was like, in retrospect, a you know twenty nine year old nerd who liked to draw superheroes in his notebook and he'd got he got a great gig teaching kids how to draw comic strips i'll tell you who summer camp cartoon counselor mark's least favorite student was the one who introduced himself as wesley (laughs) uh that is the camp that that took place at uh how did i get uh, that right i i uh the the, uh, the only I can remember two comic strips I worked on in that class. One was about the Ninja Turtles beating up Saddam Hussein. And the other was a, uh, you know, the, the my parents always had- Did you ever have any fun as a kid? <laughs> that, that's fun? Come on. Like, like geopolitical war was you in should, your head you as a little kid in summer camp, man. You should save your dunk for this second comic strip, Adam. <laughs> Because my parents always had a subscription to the New Yorker when I was growing up, and a classic New Yorker comic uh, format is a uh, guy like like hobo on a, des- a, a deserted island, you know, uh-huh. like like one palm tree with a with yeah. one or two guys leaning against it. Such is a classic. Like every every ten New Yorkers for my entire childhood had had one one such single frame uh, comic in it. And I came up with a strip that was the same idea, except for it was the palm trees that were the characters. No castaways marooned on this island, but there was one cut up cool palm tree that wore sunglasses and then another nerdy square palm tree, the straight man palm tree. And uh, and they just uh, they just have like little brief interactions with each other, little amusing interactions. And I, I imagined as like a nine-year-old that I was going to start submitting these to the New Yorker and getting published. Was cartoon <laughs> camp counselor Mark suddenly interested in having a private conference with your parents that was like, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Harrison, I have terrible news about your son. <laughs> he is displaying all the signs <laughs> of someone who needs a lot of help. He needs to be taken out of regular school immediately. I'm ready to give him a nuclear wedgie. <laughs> and I'm camp counselor Mark. Our buddy John Adams has started to get comics published in the New Yorker. Yeah. I've noticed. Uh, he did the uh, the tour poster for the Premature Assimilation Tour. That's right. He's, he uh, he's very great, talented. The great Chief O'Brien at work comic strip. And uh, when I saw that he was routinely getting published in the New Yorker, in the New Yorker I was consumed with jealousy i looked back at all of the decisions i'd made in my life i i I thought i honestly thought back to a conversation i had with my mom leaving school one day when i was like in middle school and it had been a long time since i'd taken a formal comic drawing class (laughs) and told her like i think you're really kind of foreclosing on a great career i could be having in in comic drawing by not arranging for me to have after school comic drawing instruction I'm sure you were very persuasive, Ben. <laughs> you know what would make a great New Yorker cartoon that John Adams could draw? Hmm. Is that island with the palm trees? Uh-huh. 
And then uh, it's your bloated corpse that is washed up on the shore. (laughs) And the palm trees are like looking at each other and looking at you. And they're like, what am I thinking now, asshole? (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, that's a rather clever jab at inter-office politics, don't you think? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Wow. They're they're resentful that I put thoughts in their heads, these palm trees? I wish that I knew that, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. The middle, the middle school Benjamin R. Harrison. <laughs> Every story you tell just adds more color and vibrancy. This is a strange kid. To the, to the image I have in my head of him. I wonder if having had a sibling would have normaled me out. I mean, it didn't do much for me in the, in the, in the normalcy department, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe I would have still been a total weirdo. Anyways, we cut down to Quark's bar. Cork is in very high spirits. He uh, offers to make Rom a uh, a snail juice on the house. Rom is, uh, of course, in his Bajoran workman uniform, and Cork uh, is back from a uh, a long trip back to Ferenginar. saw saw their mom, uh, cut some deals. It's going to make some exciting profits, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, f- got diagnosed with uh, some bad disease. I'm dying! Doric syndrome. Yeah, not to be confused with dork syndrome. I totally is, thought uh, he said dork. I have dork syndrome. Which is what you and I have, clearly. Yeah. But that's incurable. There's got to be a term for this. The term used when someone has been told that they don't have long to live and they almost pivot into, like, joy or, right. or like, some sort of, like, happy resignation. That's got to be away sometimes, right? It's kind of a. It's one of those, one of those surprising reactions that, in retrospect, is very on brand, right? But yeah, Quirk announces he's gonna die, and uh, it's one of those like record scratch. Everyone in the bar turns around and looks at him. Moments. What are you all looking at? Haven't you ever seen a dying man before? You never know how you're gonna take that kind of news. And sometimes I think about how I would, you know? And I hope I take it like Quark does here. With a plum? Yeah. Like he he almost he sort of becomes his best self. He's nice to his brother, he's generous to people at the bar. It's it's fleeting, right? Like yeah. it's not it's not like uh it's not like he's going to be like that for the remaining week he has to walk sure. around. But um <laughs> Yeah, and that's the that's the inciting incident, right? This Doric syndrome is going to set in 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 between six and seven days is how long he has to live, and so it's not a lot of time to get his stuff in order. So I guess the reason that he's happy is that uh, Doric syndrome is pretty rare, so it's like hitting the disease lotto, right? And uh, that's something Quark is down for. Yeah, and because the Ferengi sell their cremain pucks, like this is one last chance to make some profits before he dies. I thought it was really interesting how long the scene is because it's, it's, I mean, we get like 30 or 45 seconds with the chief and everybody up in ops. And then aside from the minute and a half of title sequence, the first like, eight minutes of the episode take place in Quark's bar, and it's just a conversation between him and Rom about this situation. Right, and Quark pivots from his mania of being 
almost like happy, like happily manic about his circumstance to being really introspective about his legacy. Like he's a guy who sees a lot of his life as being unfinished and a lot of it as being a failure. He looks back at his life with almost like disgust. I'm nobody. For all the like espousing Ferengi values he does, he does not feel like he has achieved those values. Right. When we cut back to Ops, a damaged runabout emerges. It's the Volga, and uh, it has been heavily damaged. Unfortunately, this is the runabout that Kira and Keiko and Dr. Bashir are inside, and Kira and Keiko's injuries are so bad that they are beamed directly to the infirmary. With Bashir, and O'Brien runs down to the infirmary uh, to see not Bashir or Keiko, but Kira. Major. She is on a bio bed and she's got a, a a pretty nasty bruise on the side of her face that's getting treated but she seems to be fine and she says Keiko is still in surgery like her injuries were pretty severe but she's going to be okay like nobody is worried about her not making it however chief I'm preggers how do you know and she uh, pulls her linens down and shows off her big belly <laughs> she basic instincts O'Brien here. (laughs) (laughs) Kira has a great capacity for the dramatic, and that is not appreciated in a hospital context. She buries the lead pretty hard here. Yeah. Like, now is not the time to save what happened to the baby for the end. Like... Say the baby's okay, and then say how. That's that's a good that's a good friend move. It's not like something happened to the baby, and then I'm going to look off in right. the distance for a moment. Th- this should not be clickbait. No, the baby is okay. You won't believe how. <laughs> Kira needs to save O'Brien a click here for sure. Yeah. Save him a click. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. So they switch containers. Yeah, we get a little uh, briefing session where the doctor is explaining this to the chief primarily, (laughs) but Cisco is standing there. Ben, this is another moment where they're like, O'Brien should be like, I don't care about the asteroid. Like, I really, like, we could save the asteroid hitting the shuttle for later. Tell me why my baby isn't Kira. You could tell, uh, you could tell Captain Cisco about that. (laughs) <laughs> All until you're fucking blue in the face. <laughs> until your face is as blue as your shirt. <laughs> but what I want to know right now is why the fuck my wife isn't pregnant anymore, but Kira is. And the the, the puzzle. O'Brien's here, it, like, I know the coffee's good. I made it. <laughs> I go and buy the good stuff because Keiko buys garbage. I wrote this scene so that I could be both misogynistic and racist, but it's a character, so it's not really me, but it is me because I wrote this scene. I feel like Captain Sisko is there in a weird kind of comic relief. Yeah, like, he's, like, he's he genuinely lets, funny in this scene. He is, and I think he gives us permission as a viewer to not take this seriously either. But the bottom line is it worked, right? It lets a lot of the stakes tension out of the episode mm-hmm. in a way that I think is good for the episode, ultimately. I think so, too, because I don't want to worry about an unborn baby in a Star Trek show like this, you know? Especially yeah. when it's one of when one of the other stories is a Ferengi-centric episode. Like that is that is a a bad mix. Well, isn't the 
isn't the poop on this episode that it was kind of like they had to figure out a way for Kira to be pregnant all of a sudden? Yeah, Nana Visitor was actually pregnant this season. And, and they, so they had some story that they could play with and some sci-fi context to be messed with. So yeah. they they did this. But like making that a super scary, is everyone going to make it kind of story is not really what is called for by the A and B stories in this episode. So If Dax were on the shuttle and not Kira... Could the baby have shared Dax's belly with an ankylosaur? Ankylosaur. Oh, or is man. there no room in there? I don't think that the ankylosaur is in her uterus. No, I know that, but like, would she's got like a she's got like a marsupial pouch, right? But would Dax also take on the personality of the unborn child? I don't think. Would so. there be I a don't... weird kind of schizophrenia happening? I don't know. I'm glad they didn't go in that direction. I think that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Too complicated. Yeah, and uh, O'Brien is like riding for Keiko. She wants her baby back, baby back, baby back. And the doctor says, oh, no, that's not possible because... Because baby back ribs at Chili's are a limited time <laughs> offer? Right. Yeah, it's a limited time offer, and it's a, such a vascular situation that uh, it would just be traumatic for both baby and mother, and potentially dangerous. This is as graphic as the episode gets in terms of like the what it takes to swap wombs and the way that they did. It sounds like a fairly standard beam out beam in situation outside of this conversation. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 deal is that Kira is going to have to carry this baby to term and uh Nothing anybody can do about that now. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking in pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. Back with Quark, he is anxiously watching the puck market. Like, you and I used to read Reddit comments after shows were published. Like, <laughs> like, like he's excited to see what people say, and then crushed. When, right. he, when he finally does, he is disappointed early on when there aren't many bids. And then he's incredulous that there is a high bidder, which he immediately tabs as being Rom, because uh, the high bid is exactly what Rom's life savings are. It's an insultingly low offer. Rom has bid his, his maximum, which you're not supposed to do in an auction, right? You're, you don't open with your max. No. Another bid comes in, and it's for 500 bars of gold press latinum for the 52 discs of quark's body we've never gotten a latinum exchange rate before now right and that exchange rate as described by rom and quark are 500 bars equals 10,000 strips equals 1 million slips and we've seen all of these in scenes before like we know what they look like i don't know if i know what they look like exactly yeah (laughs) i feel i feel like i've seen things that i thought were bars and then somebody refers to them by another name i don't know you're just uh you're just checking twitter while you're watching these apps huh yeah well i want to see if it's somebody said something mean about our podcast <laughs> that's uh that's noble work you're doing ben quark uh declares the the auction closed and uh he gets a great big pile of money for his trouble the idea that you could sell your desiccated cremains before dying and then enjoy the profit of that sale is yeah. fascinating to me. 
Well, like, I kind of wanted like- this episode to turn into a Brewster's Millions type thing where, like, how does Quark spend the money? Everybody, anybody want to go to lunch? I'll, I'm buying. Yeah. Is it crazy or what? Well, it seems like one of those, like, Liberty Mutual term life kind of situations where Quark is worried about leaving a bunch of debts to his loved ones. Like, yeah. funerals are expensive. It's so hard nowadays with all the gangs and rap music. What about robots? And so, he like, part of it is that he has, like, a bunch of debts to settle. He's and- got a bunch of predatory reverse mortgages to pay <laughs> off. <laughs> right. Yeah, he needs to buy back the bulk of equity in his house before he dies so that right. Rom has something, anything. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the uh th- like he this puts him in pretty high spirits because he's, you know, he knows he's going to die, but he's going to die in in the black. He's not going to be leaving debts behind for his loved ones to to deal with. It took me my whole life. But I'm going to die a winner. And this bubble has popped like almost immediately, right? Like, because right. the next scene is them just like walking around the bar, like talking about how great this pile of money is. And Bashir just kind of like, like the countess in Pee Wee's Playhouse, like poking his head <laughs> in the, in the like half door and going like, oh, Pee Wee, you're not going to face your mortality from that terrible illness. Okay, goodbye. Here's the thing about giving someone medical news is that if you are giving them the news... Don't you mean medical news? Whether or not you're telling them that their condition is mortal or that they're going to live, I think you need to give either of those an equal amount of seriousness. You don't just drive by the bar like Bashir does on his way to another thing. You got to set him down. This thing that strange credulity here is that Bashir got this got this communication from the doctor that Quark saw on Ferenginar. Like, hey, he doesn't actually have Doric syndrome. I made a mistake. Yeah. And Bashir does not familiarize himself with what that is before he goes and tells Quark yeah. the news. That's a bad look, Bashir. Like, also, not- awful HIPAA violation by Dr. Bashir here by basically screaming <laughs> it across Quark's bar. Right. Yeah. Everybody gets to know. Yeah. The dilemma in the episode becomes Brunt FCA, the uh, the second Jeffrey Combs uh, appearance in a row uh, in this season, and uh, he uh, he has uh, arrived on the station to make good on his purchase because he is the mysterious buyer who offered up a small fortune uh, for the desiccated remains of Cork, and he expects to be uh he expects to be furnished with those remains within six days this is not the first time we've seen jeffrey combs it's not the first time we've seen jeffrey combs as brunt but i feel like this is the first time we've seen jeffrey combs as brunt as heath ledger's joker (laughs) there is something really unhinged about brunt in this episode and it made me think so much about Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker. There's like, and especially because of Brunt's relationship with Ferengi culture, as it is similar to the Joker's relationship with society, right? Yeah. And I think it's really unfortunate because I don't want to like take anything away from Jeffrey Combs, but it really sucks that he just copied Heath Ledger like that. (laughs) 
That is not what I'm saying at all, <laughs> Ben. I'm saying I really appreciated Jeffrey Combs' work here. I thought I thought he was like 10 out of 10 in threat level. He was really yeah. good. Yeah, I I wondered if it is because he's like off duty. He's here in a private capacity as Brunt the man, not as Brunt the controller of some this kind of... This is Brunt when he gets home from work and takes yeah. off his shoes. He let his hair down. This is Brunt after a couple of slug juices. <laughs> the problem is there's no there's no going back on a deal. A deal is a deal. A contract is a contract is a contract. And uh, if if like and Brunt is in a unique position via his employment at the FCA of like really making life hell for Quark if uh, if he does not fulfill this contract. The but I also pu- got the the idea that he kind of wanted to do some sick shit with Quark's pucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just wanted to like uh, clap his nuts with them. Yeah, or like jack off while a woman in a high heeled shoe stepped on one or something like that. <laughs> or like uh, like clap them together like the sound of horse hooves in, from like the beginning of Monty Python. <laughs> yeah, you use them as uh, as tableware at a great big uh, dinner party for all his friends. Yeah. Oh yeah, they'd make great coasters. Set your snail juice on a coaster. <laughs> Is that a good Brunt impression? I don't even really know what he sounds like. Yeah, Brunt just goes full Patrick Bateman. (laughs) (laughs) The punishment for breaking a contract is severe, and that is all family assets are sold to the lowest bidder, and uh, your family, all of your family is humiliated and outcast by all Ferengi. It would be a terrible consequence, and uh, this this really scares Quark. I listened to an interview on Terry Gross recently that was a lady who had been a uh, a Jehovah Witness and mm-hmm. she had left the faith and the cost of apostasy being that like nobody that participates in the faith is allowed to have any contact with you and this really felt like that like the yeah. it feels like the 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 price of uh, violating a contract in Ferengi society is akin to leaving a cult. Like everybody you know will will shun you, right? And and they will be punished also. Like even though they didn't do anything. Religions doing it for the right reasons. <laughs> <laughs> We cut back and forth like away from this story and into the Miles and Keiko O'Brien story. I mean, basically what happens there is that they are feeling awkward about the Kira container and because they want to be with her all the time. They feel separated from their baby because yeah. she's elsewhere and, and like Keiko is barely able to walk. So she's like her recovery seems difficult and painful. And like not only is she in physical pain, but she's in this mental anguish of like a day ago I had a baby in me. We still have that baby, but the baby's somewhere else and with someone else. I thought it was amazing that they wrote an episode with something 
as intense as that happening to one of their characters. And she does not appear in the episode until 15 minutes in the, yeah. the one third mark yeah. through the episode. And it's a very brief scene. It's like a 30 second scene between her and, and miles just like going like, Hey, glad you're glad you're feeling a little bit better. You'll be up on your feet by tomorrow. Like, and then we cut back to it. Like for the briefest glimpses throughout the episode, like the, the Quark story is so a story in this and what's happening with Keiko, which is like incredibly intense and like a, an incredibly emotionally fraught set of ideas. Like the idea of, like you say, like the, like we still have this baby, but it's not where it's supposed to be is an incredibly painful and surprising idea like a, and a, and like a really interesting sci-fi idea and uh something that i felt like they could have explored 10 times as much as they did there's an interesting asymmetry in this what i guess we could call like this deep sea story because like all of the pain is visited upon the o'briens but kira's surrogacy is not by choice Right, it's and a you, massive imposition. And she never betrays that, ever. Right. She is always totally game. And I wonder if there was ever a thought in like in registering her discomfort about her situation too. Like I thought halfway through this episode that the O'Briens were gonna hug her to death and like <laughs> and like and like sort of lenny the situation a little bit. Yeah. And and like make it make it uncomfortable for Kira so that Kira would like push away. But that never happens. Like, like she's invited in and she remains. Yeah, she is. She is surprisingly game for for this, and I'm super impressed with her as a person. Yeah, for, for being like that. And I wondered if if they, I don't know. Like, I I don't. Her character, it kind of reads for her character, but it also kind of like you could see her going totally the opposite direction. Like, really resenting the the burden that has been placed on her just because yeah. it like be, because of like a freak circumstance of when they had you know an accident and her particular biology meaning that they can't unburden her of the baby any earlier than normal i really like the episode and by saying that i'm also saying like i'm getting this episode off the hook for that because this almost isn't this episode's job to retcon Kira's feelings about having a child. It right. this this could have been done over the last four seasons where Kira's too much of a workaholic. We know that about her. Like like she's too busy to ever consider having a kid. It could have been a thing that was introduced with her relationship with Shikar. Maybe Shikar really wants kids and Kira uh isn't so right. sure. Like yeah. like a stitch or two of dialogue buried a season or two ago. Uh does the work that this episode doesn't have to. And this episode right. chooses not to. Yeah, the choices that are made here are really uh, interesting. And I thought, you know, for as interesting as the Quark story is, and I think it is interesting, I I felt like you could switch the ratio of how much screen time is given to each and I would have been happier as a viewer. Right, yeah. Brunt is just a force of nature in this episode and he is making Quark's life hell so much so that quark has resorted to some 
creative thinking about his circumstances, knowing that he cannot necessarily get out of his contract, and knowing that in, that Brunt is expecting him to die, he goes he goes to the one person on the station who works in this space, and that's Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Cork is uh, is privy to Garrick's previous life in a way that seems to be seems to come as a bit of a surprise to Garrick, but uh, Cork would like to. Retain Garrick's services of an assassin. Right. And Rom believes that it is to assassinate Brunt, but it's Quark that is asking for something a little different. It's uh, He wants Garrick to assassinate him. Suicide by Garrick. Right. We get, we get a couple of scenes of like what, what that might be like where, you know, Garrick... Uh, <laughs> You know, like like snaps Quark's neck and drops him face first into a plate full of food. Quark and comes out of a dressing room with like a knife in his back. Garrick's like, "Nah, that's not gonna work." He goes yeah. back in, and then like Ra- Ram Garrick and Garrick are him. sitting on the on the settee. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Garrick shoots him with a phaser. Nah, this isn't gonna work. Quark goes back in. I love that music cue. Yeah. Uh, and and Quark really resists every option for getting killed. Um, but you know, murder beggars can't be method choosers, Adam. (laughs) Indeed. There's something that happens, this scene that happens in the whole episode between Quark and Ram is that Quark frames his circumstances as like idealistic and Ram only looks at this in terms of the emotional. This is true to both of their characters, this conflict. Right. It feels very lived in. Quark is entirely focused on the kind of like dollars and cents of every situation he's in. Right. Right. And uh, what he winds up arranging with Garrick is that uh, he's going to be killed in a way that will come as a complete surprise. He is not going to know ahead of time the when or the how. And (laughs) this just winds up putting him in a terrible headspace because he's just sneaking around like jumping uh, in fright at his own shadow, uh, you know, flicking on the lights of his apartment and in his apartment and ducking, and he winds up having a terrible dream where he imagines he is uh, he's waking up in the the Ferengi heaven, that which is the divine treasury, where uh, all he has to do is bribe his way past the bursar or something, and and he'll uh, be able to presumably uh, I don't know. Fuck 70 virgins or whatever. Yeah, the guy who greets him is Grand Nagus Gint. And Gint was the first Grand Nagus and the author of the Rules of Acquisition. So this is this is meeting a celebrity for Quark. But unfortunately, this in the dream state, uh Gint looks like Rom. Yeah. And and Quark does not realize he's having a dream initially. He just he assumes that he's in fact, dead, and that Garrick is great at his job. <laughs> Speaking of great at your job, as a makeup artist, you know you're making wall-eyed head boobs when you're when you're putting on the loaf to make <laughs> Grand Vegas Gint, right? Right. Like, you can't take your eyes off of them. I wondered if this was the same loaf that they put on Zek. I don't remember him having these head boobs. I feel like, he, I feel like Zek has head boobs, too. They're so pendulous. <laughs> uh, also in this dream is Brunt. And like a yeah. lot of dreams that start out nice and end as nightmares, uh, Brunt 
begins to And for choke. like the third time in the episode, Brent is, you know how I got these ears? <laughs> You're like, come on, man. You keep changing the story. What are we to believe? <laughs> Brunt chokes Quark at the end of this dream, and then Quark wakes up with his own hands around his throat. Yeah. I think we've all woken up in that condition, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, having a, anybody having a that's dream? into the kind of jack-off sesh that I'm into. Pretty dark. The upshot of the dream is that the rules of acquisition are not are not laws. The code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Oh, interesting that an almost religious text could be just sort of informational and not literal oh, law. Open for interpretation. Huh. Cool. <laughs> Would have uh, saved us a lot of trouble in death to have yeah. known that. This is going to come as a complete shock to <laughs> a lot of people. But yeah, the uh, the price of breaking the rules remains the same, right? Like, Brunt can still do all the things he's threatened to do. Is Quark taking this as a vision that he can then proselytize after this episode, I wonder? You just need someone's permission, so I'm giving it to you. This is effectively a, a massive bombshell to the Ferengi way of life. Like, I wonder, I wonder to what degree this has a lasting impression on, on Quark and the society. It's hard to know, right? Like, there's a, a part of him that is very happy to receive this because he feel he, it helps him make the personal decision that apostasy is better than death. Right. But like one problem I have with this episode is it doesn't really resolve the stakes that it sets up for itself. And, and it's in the same way that the, the bar association did like, like the retribution that Brunt threatened in that episode. And in this episode is like, this is going to happen to everybody, you know, like you're right. Never going to be able to do any work with an other Ferengis. Your mother will be out on the street, like, like this. The 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 fallout of this will be wide ranging and will hurt uh, people in a way that you will not be able to soften the blow. And I don't think anything that happens in this episode leads us to believe that that is not in fact true, because Court goes to to Brunt after this and is like. Hey, listen. Uh, uh, I am. I am not going to be honoring the contract. I've uh, got your money back for you here, plus interest. Another loser in a long line of failed Ferengis. And Brunt flips out. Like he goes. He goes fucking ape on Quirk. No Ferengi may do business with that man. Yeah, and closes his bar. Yeah, loudly. He slaps the scarlet letter on the wall and, like, announces to everybody there that it's over. And Quark agrees it's over. He, he like, tells everybody to leave. Pretty sad moment. Morn. 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 Sweet. Morn. 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 Stop. Hammer time. We sort of ping pong emotionally between this and the O'Briens because, like, the button on the O'Brien story is that Aunt... Nerese has agreed to live with the O'Briens in a right. guest bedroom. It's like almost not a story. Yeah. Like it's just a series of things that happen. 
And it's also very up episode too. I want to say this is like almost 15 minutes from the end because the button on the actual episode is all quark centric. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think that's perceptual. I think it's it, like real runtime wise. It's like five minutes from the end, yeah. but yeah, but like it, it feels like, okay, like, so what happened is, uh, they beamed the baby out of Keiko and into Kira. Uh, there's no way to, to unring that bell. The O'Briens are a little bit sad about it, but like have Kira over for dinner and the resolution is she's going to move in with them until the baby is born. Right. All of the drama is just in Keiko and Miles's fears surrounding it and those fears being assuaged. (laughs) Right. Nothing to worry about, guys. Kira's going to be super cool about this. I mean, I wonder. I wonder if this isn't setting up for some conflicts down the road. It doesn't seem like they would be a good match roommate-wise, but we'll see. We shall see. I also wonder, like, does this persist into the next season? Because this is the second to last episode of this season. Right. So presumably they're going on summer break, which would be the time that Nana Visitor needs to have her baby. Yeah, potentially. Or not. I don't know. I don't know. It it must be so fucking annoying as an actress if you want to have a kid to like try and line up your your pregnancy with a time that is not going to be hugely disruptive to your your work. Like I mean it's a, it's annoying as enough for women with careers that are like 9 to 5 jobs, but when you're a lead character on a TV show like this, like trying to like nail summer break for when you have your baby has got to just be like such a nightmare. Yeah, it was actually Iris Stephen Bear's wife who came up with the idea of instead of shooting around Nana Visitor's belly or like covering up Gates McFadden with a with like a doctor's robe like they did in TNG. Like it was right. it was Laura Bear who was like, hey, Ira, you know, <laughs> like you could just come up with a story solution to this problem. You're making a science fiction television show. Yeah. And so Iris Stephen Bear like credits his wife for the idea of making this work. And I think it was a great idea. That is a solid idea. Behind every great man, Adam. Is a woman who hates that man. <laughs> the true button on this episode takes place in Quarks. And the bar has been emptied out of all the furniture and the fixtures. Quarks sitting ostensibly destitute on the stairwell wearing a shirt that he needs to ship to brunt tomorrow yeah and it's rom who's sort of soothing him by saying that uh even though you've lost everything he's proud of him and that uh that doesn't console quark very much but he doesn't get a long time to wallow because uh bashir enters with a case of bottles and then Dax yeah. enters with a case of glasses, and Cisco enters with a bunch of extra furniture. It's a real I am Spartacus moment here, <laughs> Ben, from uh, from the crew of DS9. It, it would appear as though the bar can remain with the help of, of everyone's contributions. Yeah, you know, Quark, a man who has sold illegal weapons and <laughs> sold the station out innumerable times, tried to arrange for his brother's death. Yeah. Gets bailed out by the humans. A generous humanitarian gesture. He's going to get to keep having a bar. This I guess episode, he won't have Ferengi waiters anymore. This episode 
does everything it can to make you forget about all those things, though. Like the music pivots into theme song adjacency. Every like the mood of it is so giving. Yeah. The the, the words that Rom says are all about like, you know, Quark. Maybe your possessions aren't physical things. Maybe your assets are your friends. Mm-hmm. Like on a lot of other shows, they would not be able to walk this line. And yeah. and you you would get a cavity from how sweet it is. <laughs> but instead it just obfuscates all of the awful things that Quark has done up until now because you're looking this through the lens of all of these good people. It's like gratitude retcon, you know? Like yeah. it's it's a weird magic trick, but it I think it's effective. I think it's effective too. And uh it makes Quark not the chaos agent that he is anymore in some ways. But, but like, leaves the door open for him, like, reverting to that. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> because, like, not, it's nothing he did to, like, earn this generosity. It's just, uh, it's just like everybody else is a, is a really good person on the station. Yeah. And, like, there is a brief moment where you can see him accepting the generosity, but, uh, but you can tell it is brief. Would Rom be okay no matter what happens here because he has a career separate from Ferengi society? Yeah, I think he would. I think so too. I wonder if Quark would be motivated to join Starfleet or or the Bajorans in order to in order to be able to live, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Lots of questions, question. but uh maybe the biggest question of all, Ben, is did you like this episode? I did like the episode. Like I said, I kind of wish that it was the inverse of this episode where the B was the A and the A mm-hmm. was the B. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that like when you're looking at an Avery Brooks episode, what you're looking for is emotional truth. Right. And that is all over this damn thing. Indeed. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and well executed. So... Yeah, I wonder to what degree it's Avery Brooks that really brought out the Jeffrey Cro- the Jeffrey Combs in Brunt, right? Yeah, that's a that's a great call. Yeah, because Avery Brooks is not afraid to get wild when right. he is portraying a character, and Combs goes way further outside the lines than he has in previous outings. I think. Yeah, boy, imagine being an actor and getting that kind of encouragement. I think you can really draw a line between the two here. Yeah, I really like the episode too, Ben, and I agree with you totally on on the transposition of of the A and the B stories. I think that would have been interesting, but I wonder. God, we only have one episode left in this season, right? And I hope we get more Kira conflict about her being a surrogate. To be honest, yeah. I hope I hope there's some time for that in our finale. I like finding a little bit more about Quark and what his line is, right? <laughs> because because he has been like a chaos agent from the start and a person that didn't seem like he had one as as lions go. So, I thought that was an interesting reveal for him that there was there was a line he wouldn't cross. Right. Well, Adam, uh a line I always like crossing is into the priority one inbox. Do you want to uh head in there with me and see what we got? Oh, I've I've already crossed over. I'm already there. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. 
By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first is of a personal nature. It's from Evan, and it's to Lila. It goes like this. Thank you for introducing me to Star Trek, The Greatest Generation, Guthrie and Ivory, your family, your friends, and your world. I've loved each of these things, and I can't wait for the next thing we discover together. I may be a retired astronaut, but I'm glad I'm yours. Aww. That is a very, very sweet message. Yeah. I wonder who Guthrie and Ivory are. I feel like they could be like pets or siblings or friends. <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. siblings or friends would be covered by family and friends, which are listed after Guthrie and Ivory. So maybe maybe they are pets. I don't know. Hmm. But a very uh, a, a touching message from Evan to Lila. Like Starship Troopers, I would like to know more. <laughs> Ben, our second priority one message is from TK421. Oh, oh no. You know what? If if in, if this parenthetical wasn't here, I would think that this person was talking about Boogie Nights and the uh, and the stereo modification that Buck Swope <laughs> tries to uh, tries to sell in the Super Stereo wor- World Store, right? Uh huh. You just you're just not gonna get that bass without the oh, TK421 yeah. modification. Yeah. This message is for you and me and all Trekkies everywhere. And the message goes like this. By now you've destroyed the Millennium Falcon. Mmm. Have not yet. <laughs> Oops. Uh, in parentheses it says Vader, and then, no! <laughs> and then in parentheses it says Khan, and then, I will abandon you. Truth be told, I am more of a Star Wars fan. Turns what? out Star Wars fans do not have a sense of humor and generally are kind of the worst. Yeah, it's a toxic fandom if ever there was one. Very self-aware. Good amount of insight here by TK421. Uh, message ends, if you were to destroy a Star Trek Lego model, which would you pick? And then in parentheses it says if Star Trek was popular enough to have Lego models. Nice burn there, TK421. Oh yeah, I think it would be the D. Uh, if there was a if there was a comparable Enterprise D Lego model on the market, we would have bought it and built it and destroyed it. For me, my answer would be the Dyson Sphere, <laughs> which would be a two billion brick Lego model, <laughs> taking taking Benjamin R. Harrison roughly fourteen years to complete. Because you just never want to get around to actually doing this. You would need a, an airplane hangar to yeah. build it. It'd be yeah. amazing. I think that would be my pick. Great question. I love questions in the P1 feed. Good job, TK421. Yeah. If you'd like to ask us a question or uh, send somebody a message, you can uh, head over to MaximumFun.org Jumbotron. It's uh, 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and uh, we really appreciate the folks who do it. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool 
And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I think there is a part of a scene. I, I don't know if I could surgically remove a piece of it small enough to make like a conventional Shimoda. But that scene at Garrick's, we skipped past uh, a part of it that was crucial. And that is Garrick is in there uh, helping mourn when Quark walks in. <laughs> <laughs> Garrick is helping mourn with a pair of pants, and specifically, he has strengthened the crotch of those pants. Yeah. 
in the store, Garrick mentions that it's uh, that it's sturdy enough, you know, for for some hardcore bar stooling, the kind that that Morn is known to do. But I think you and I know the truth, Vanis, that you need a strengthened crotch in your pants when you are carrying around the hammer. <laughs> so for that reason, I'm going to give Garrick my my Shimoda. Like he's covering for Morn's big dick here, uh, as if everyone on the station doesn't know that. He's observing HIPAA regulations much more carefully than the doctor. Indeed. What about you, Ben? I got to give it to Cisco for the for the bits he's doing in the yeah. uh, in that McLaughlin group. Issue one really is the joke of uh, like there there were only two people present and uh, and Bashir picked the correct one to be the uterus in which the baby goes to. Is fucking hysterical. <laughs> he's great in this scene. I, I laughed out loud when he said that. He can't say no to himself as a director. Like, no. Strong choice. Co signed. Avery Brooks yeah. is doing it. I love yeah. that. Well, well met, Avery Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we are meeting the season finale of Deep Space Nine season four next week, Ben. What are we going to see there? That is season four, episode 25, Broken Link. Odo forced to return to the homeworld of his people and face judgment for killing one of his own. Wow. So he is going home. Forced. You can't force Odo to do anything, I don't think, can you? He's going to break out of those chains. No prison can hold him. No prison can hold him. He'll he'll slither right out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Well... Uh, we can't slither out of watching the episode, Ben, but can we slither into a different way of watching it? It's a good question, Adam. We are currently on square 29 of the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Prophets. Uh, that's, of course, the board game that uh, we play every week at gach.biz slash game. A few squares ahead is a measure of a man, and other than that... Uh, all clean squares, so I'm going to go ahead and roll. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Chula! Uh, Did I win? Hardly. I rolled a three, so uh, we are on square 32 now. All right. And uh, 32 is a regular old episode. Uh, We're a couple squares away from a measure of a man and a couple more away from a canard with Damar. Hmm. So next roll is uh, is pretty exciting. Fairly high stakes next time. Wow. And, uh, for this time, next next week's episode, regular ass episode. <laughs> nothing to worry about. No, nothing to worry about at all. We won't do anything to fuck it up. Nope. <laughs> so I think that pretty much does it for today. If you enjoy The Greatest Generation and would like to support what we do, we make that easy. We have a whole website about that. It's called MaximumFun.org slash donate. And uh, we're a listener-supported show, so if you'd like to contribute on a monthly basis, you uh, head there, pick a level that works for you. Uh, the minimum level is 5 bucks a month, and that gets you a ton of great bonus content. We are always putting out bonus content, and uh, I'm really proud of all of the bonus episodes we've done. Uh, for the greatest generation and i think you will enjoy them i know i do god it's it's almost getting to that late part of the year where we drop a a weird special app into that feed as we do regularly that might happen soon gotta thank adam ragusia for for styling 
all of the great music for our program. He, of course, makes the theme song and interstitial music uh, built on on the jig of Dark Materia. <laughs> Dark Materia's music being the source the source material for Greatest Gen. Yeah. Uh, check out Adam Ragusea's YouTube channel where he will teach you how to cook. Two good reasons not to leave Twitter are J.J. Lendl and... Uh, <laughs> And Bill Tilly, uh, they both make things out of the shows that we make. J.J. Lendl makes movie-quality posters that he releases on a Saturday or Sunday before the Monday episodes drop. And Bill Tilly creates new jokes out of the jokes that we tell on The Greatest Generation and turns them into collectible cards, which are fantastic. You can find him on Twitter at Bill Tilly 1973 and... At JJ Lendl for JJ Lendl. Two great reasons to leave Twitter are uh, me and Adam. I'm on there at Benjamin AHR and Adam's on there at Cut for Time. Uh, you can also join all of the uh, Facebook and Reddit groups. And uh, there's a uh, there's probably a Discord. There's the Wikia where uh, people are with very fine detail cataloging every episode of this show and every joke we tell. Uh, Every slip-up either of us makes. (laughs) Catalogued forever. Uh, Check out the other uh, great podcasts on MaximumFun.org, including our shows, The Greatest Discovery and Friendly Fire. I personally think this off-season of Greatest Discovery has been the best one we've done. I think it's been awesome. We've been having a great time over there, so uh, give that a listen. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. In an episode of The Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, which takes a dip in that golden pool. <laughs> that pool needs a filter. You know we're getting back in that pool, right, Ben? Mm. It's going to be so Look, gross. Looking forward to Ugh, it's the so, kiddie pool. <laughs> it's so syrupy. Is, you know what? is Odo's home planet just called the kiddie pool? You know what? Uh, you know what the planet founders needs in that golden pool is one of those ink dyes that that uh, reacts to <laughs> that reacts to urine. Because <laughs> that whole lake would be blue if that were the case. Yeah, they're fucking up <laughs> over there on planet founders. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.